0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Father, now as we hear your voice, may our hearts not be hardened. Help us not to go astray in our hearts, um, but cling to you and to your every word that we shall enter your rest, the great banquet that is up ahead, Lord, Help us to understand that truth now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you about parties because our text is about parties. Uh, Just thinking about parties in general, I don't know what your experience with respect to parties or banquets is and how you feel about being invited uh, to affairs like that. Maybe your memories of parties like mine from college especially, and a little bit after college, include some regret. Um, but there are probably occasions that uh, you were invited to that maybe you couldn't make and you, you uh, lamented that. or. You probably have some fond memories of some formal occasions or feasts, maybe with family and friends that you actually enjoyed. Maybe there were, there have been, or there still is a Thanksgiving meal with family that you enjoy. You know, there isn't the drunk uncle in your family who talks about politics that you don't agree with, and you actually do enjoy those gatherings. On my um, dad's side of the family growing up, uh, we would celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve, Uh, with the extended family. Uh, My grandmother hosted it for a while. When she couldn't, uh, they moved to a smaller home. An aunt or an uncle would host it. And it was always a great occasion because it wasn't just our uh, extended family, but there were friends in the community who all knew my dad's side of the family. And they were invited, and they would come. So, you know, it felt like Plenty of people probably was like 50 people or so as a small child we would open gifts and it was I remember It was always a sort of free-for-all with the gift exchange There wasn't any taking of turns at this affair and as a a kid I loved it because of course really most of the gifts were probably for me and my cousins or uh, When I was a little bit older I uh, studied for a summer in Nice, France and stayed with a host family and we had dinner every night uh, with this uh, family on their terrace. It wasn't just a patio, it was a terrace with this um, stucco wall and beautiful plants and would eat meals in this Mediterranean climate in the summer there, French food and wine, you know, every night with these people. I couldn't understand a thing they were saying. And they would bring friends over, and I remember they would say American once in a while, so I knew they were talking about me. Um, But I just loved it. I had never really experienced anything uh, like this before. And actually later, a college friend of mine uh, graduated a year or two before I did, and his mother threw a graduation party uh, outside in a backyard, and I remember there String lights that she put up for this uh, graduation party, uh, and that wasn 't a thing back then now everybody you know buys these string lights from Costco and Home Depot and puts them everywhere this i hadn 't seen anything like this you know outside of Christmas before, and we had I remember the wine was really good and great cheese and I thought I could do this every day you know this type of thing uh, when I was in my 20s I had a uh, all my life i 've had a thing for Halloween because my birthday is November first. And so Halloween was always the holiday, you know, associated with my birthday growing up. It was always a, a, there was like a Halloween style cake or something, you know, there were always bats and pumpkins at my birthday parties. And so in my twenties, I had this great apartment in San Francisco and we would throw a big party for my roommates and I for Halloween. And I would go all out getting dressed up. One year, I was Pee Wee Herman. I bought a really tight gray suit and dyed my hair black and slicked it and put on lipstick and tried to do the thing, you know, that he does. Uh, One year, I was uh, Mr. Rogers. If you go in my office, there's a King Friday puppet and that's from, I bought it on eBay. Uh, when I was Mr. Rogers for Halloween uh, that year. And people loved these Halloween parties, you know, like we'd fit 100 people, it felt like, in my flat in San Francisco for these Halloween parties uh, we threw uh, every year. You've probably had experiences like this uh, of a party that you've enjoyed or one that you wanted to be invited to. Or maybe you had a fear of missing out to a particular occasion. You know, you didn't know whether you were good enough friends with that friend to be invited to their wedding. You're hoping that you would be, and so you had fear of missing out. Well, God is planning to one day throw the greatest party in the universe You know that will trump all of these occasions. God is planning to one day throw the, the greatest party in the history of the universe. And we hear about this a few times uh, in the Bible, most especially in Revelation chapter 19 where John explains, uh, let us re- uh, rejoice and exult and give him the glory Uh, and so when we arrive there in heaven with God and his people, it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we, as the church, are the bride of Christ. And it will be the greatest wedding banquet ever. Uh, even better than a few weeks ago, I went to Fred Teardo's, our organist, and his new wife Carrie's wedding. It was pretty amazing, their wedding. It was right here. It was simple. And they had this tower of cheese there in Cleveland Commons instead of a cake. They had this tower of cheese that they, that they shared with everyone. The, the marriage supper of the Lamb will be far superior to even that great wedding. Uh, or in Isaiah 25, we learn in verse 6, "...on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined." And then uh, one of the other major passages that addresses this great feast is our passage from Luke today in Luke chapter 14. Um, And I've included uh, three bits of chapter 14 that are actually related. Jesus, we learn at the beginning of the chapter, we don't have it in the bulletins today, but in verse 1, as he's traveling towards Jerusalem... Uh, he is invited by a ruler of the Pharisees to come to his home uh, for a party. And while he's there, uh, it says they were watching him carefully. They're trying to entrap him uh, to see him slip up and make some mistake in violation of s- some uh, law that they've invented, particularly around the Sabbath day. But then he he watches them carefully and notices the way that the people are behaving at the party that they um that they're jockeying for a position that they're trying to be noticed, they're trying to get the um to not just be a wallflower but to get the you know the best place at the table, for example i don't know if you have this experience, I especially find this there's kind of a a maximum number of people that work well at a restaurant, you know, that you eat with. I think it's about eight people. Because once you get to about ten or more, usually like some long table, there's just no way to really talk to the group. You end up talking to the one or two people next to you, right? And I'm I'm conscious of these kinds of things. So I go to a restaurant with ten or more people, you know, maybe it's a rehearsal dinner, and the best place to sit is not the center of the table. Because you know what ends up happening is the people on a, a, the either side of me, they end up talking to each other and I'm like left. And usually I don't like the person across from me, you know, or I can't hear what they're saying. Um, and so I just feel like lonely, like I don't have anyone to talk to. So what I do is I sort of uh, I, uh, try to manipulate the situation and go sit toward the end so we'll actually have people to talk to. Well, Jesus sees that they're behaving this way. And he calls them out on it and says, you know, when you uh, go to a feast, he tells a parable of a wedding feast, to, to not do that. Because you might find that actually the host says, he the host demotes you. You know, when you go to the place where you want to sit, the host tells you to move because someone of greater honor has come. And so what you should do instead in my situation, you know, is I should sit in that awkward center spot so that the host says, no, no, Matt, come scoot over here. We want to, you know, we want to spend time with you. And, but Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He's not just giving uh, instruction on social protocol. He says at the end of this, it really is a parable for in verse 11, he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He's talking about the way that the kingdom of God works, uh, that those who have pride and uh, exaltation for themselves will find with respect to the kingdom of God that they will be humbled, hopefully for their benefit. But in the last day, it might be a casting out, uh, the humiliation that far. And those who are humble will find themselves exalted on the other hand. This is a reversal of the, the way that the world works, a reversal of fortunes. But Jesus doesn't stop just there and telling the, uh, the, the gathering this parable. He then turns to the host of the party and talks to him about the types of people that we tend to invite to banquets and who uh, he should invite instead not to just invite one's friends or relatives because they can, rep- they can return the favor. They'll invite you to a party. You've probably seen this before, you know. You make me a, a, a groomsman and I'll make you a groomsman, that kind of sort of thing. You know, this is the way that the social world uh, kind of works. And instead, Jesus says, when you have such a banquet, instead invite uh, the needy, the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind and you will be blessed, the outcast. But again, he doesn't just leave it there because it would just be a morality tale if that's all that Jesus said. He's again, uh, he's explaining the way that the kingdom of God works because he says at the very end of the passage, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Emphasizing again that those who are uh, exalted in this life will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be Exalted, And uh, just as uh, he's talking about inviting the needy into our parties, we who are needy should want to be invited into God's party. And that's where he goes next. So these two things, the first, the, uh, the parable of the wedding feast, and then the, the thing he says to the host of the party, are really the inciting incident for the, the main thing that I want us to look at today, which is in verses 15 through, uh, what is that, uh, 24. Because in verse 15, there's a guy there at the party who's hearing all this, and he's like a peacemaker type. He's probably like you. He's probably like me. Most of us like to keep the peace. You know, we can't stand the tension, especially in a social situation when someone's making it awkward. You know, we want to go along to get along. And especially when it comes to politics and religion, you know, let's not go too far. I mean, you can mention Trump, but just, like, let's not discuss him, right? Or, you know, keep your religion to yourself. It's great. You know, I, I've heard a little bit about your religion, but sort of keep it to yourself kind of thing. He's that kind of guy. But he's vaguely religious himself. And he, so he says, and you have to imagine him with, like, a cup in, your, in his hand, sort of like cheers when he's saying this. He says, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. <laughs> he's uh, he's basically saying that's great can we move on you know enough of that uh, and and inserting a kind of religious sentiment hoping uh, that will uh, sort of shut Jesus up but Jesus doesn't shut up he goes for the jugular and addresses the man directly with everyone listening and talks about uh, the the great banquet the the marriage supper of the lamb the feast that is up ahead Uh, that a, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. He's talking about God. He's talking about that banquet, that day. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. They've already received an advanced invitation, kind of like a save the date for a wedding. And now the real invitation is coming with the little RSVP card. You know, are you coming or not? That's what he's saying. The Old Testament prophets were like the uh, save the date. And now uh, Jesus is is giving us the real invitation with the RSVP. But uh, they all like began to make excuses. He's talking about Israel here. He's talking about uh, the people of Israel, first of all making excuses for... uh, There are three men in this tale who make three different excuses. One has to do with property. One has to do probably with uh, business affairs, the five yoke of oxen. And the other one has to do with uh, relationships. He's just been married. He's on his honeymoon. He ignored your save the date and went ahead and scheduled his own wedding that day. And so he can't make it. And really what Jesus is doing is giving representations of different idols that uh, people have in their life that stand in the way to, for them uh, responding to the invitation from God. Uh, and then the servant comes back and reports these things. And the master gets angry. And so he says, Then go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. If the invitation has gone out to, to the people if something just fell from the ceiling. <laughs> Um, if the the invitation has gone out to the people of Israel and some have rejected it, he says, now instead uh, go and spread word to the outcasts of Israel or to the Samaritans, the people that we don't tend to think of, that we don't like, the people that we ignore, the needy, the blind, the crippled, the lame. And so the servant does that and some have responded and the servant says, there's still more room. And so the master says, Great, now go to the highways and hedges and compel the people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. So now what he's talking about is the nations, the Gentiles. Uh, not just the, the uh, outcasts of Israel, but now go even further out. The, the master wants his banquet to be full, his house to be full of people. And no respecter of ethnicity or station in life or their abilities. As a matter of fact, goes not just to the needy, but to the, the people, the other people types that we tend not to associate with. And those who thought they were uh, originally invited are are not only going to have uh, not only going to reject the invitation. But when the time comes around and they see the feast for what it is, it will be too late. And so to recap the story, God is inviting everyone in the world to come to this great banquet, the greatest banquet in the history of the, the universe. And sadly, many who think they deserve uh, to be there are actually rejecting their long-standing invitation. Uh, meanwhile, those we least expect, the, the poor, the unattractive, the outcasts, who may have never thought that they themselves would be invited, uh, will be invited, uh, not only that, will be those who are uh, most ready to respond, to say yes to the invitation. And they're the ones who are being invited at the last minute. You know, they didn't even get the save debate. date. They never got the formal invitation. They're just hearing it urgently by word of mouth at the last minute. Um, In uh, this chapter, uh, Jesus goes on to teach more that we don't see immediately afterwards. And it's helpful to to take all these things in their context. It's hard on Sunday because we we take everything out of the rest of the Bible and sort of look at it with a microscope. But it's helpful to see where this passage is coming in Luke's gospel. And afterwards, in verses 25 through 33, Jesus explains uh, what people often call the cost of discipleship, to count the cost of being a follower of Jesus Christ. And at the very end of that passage, in verse 33, he says, "'So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples.'" to renounce those idols that are standing in the way of, our invita- of responding to our invitation. The three idols that were represented in this story had to do with property, uh, business affairs, and relationships. But there, there are countless more. But even the, then, they were, those were idols. They are for us today, those types of things. And Jesus is saying in verse 33 that, uh, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciples. We cannot put anything in his place in our life uh, to make those things our God's. Otherwise, we aren't truly following him. And so Jesus is calling us. He's inviting us to this great banquet at the resurrection of the just, as he says in verse 14. And he wants us to be obedient to this call, to respond to the invitation and not take for granted uh, that we have it, which reme- means renouncing all that we have and, and not making lame excuses, not coming up with explanations uh, for, for why you know we can't respond just yet because there's this, that, and the other thing that I need to get my act together or uh, handle this thing before I can truly respond. And this story isn't uh, just written for first century Jews, but it's written for the Christian church today. It also applies to us because we are at equal risk of either, on the one hand, being like the man, the uh, peacekeeper in verse uh, 15, who's sort of half hearted and wants to move on, you know, can't handle the truth about the kingdom of God. Or on the other hand, uh, we're at danger of being like those who hear the invitation. But uh, don't respond and instead make excuses. Here's the other thing about this passage for us Uh, another thing that, uh, another way that it applies to our lives for us in the church that uh, we're God's people who know the story. Being God's people who know this story, we too are now like the servant, or we can be like the servant in the story who's told to go out and remind people of the invitation or invite new people who have never heard it before. And so we ought to consider inviting people to join us at this great banquet, especially the people that we love, but even the people we don't know. I mean, think about that. If you're in Christ, you know that you're going to the greatest party in the universe. uh, And it will have better food and company It'll it'll feel like it never ends, and you don't want it to end. Even if you don't, even if you're really introverted and don't like those social situations, this party you're going to enjoy. Knowing that, wouldn't you want to invite more people to join you in this uh, this great affair? And when this happens, uh, sadly, uh, when we invite people, we we know from the story to also expect that some uh, will reject the invitation. And when, when this happens, it's time to go to the poor. It's time to go to the needy. And that's not necessarily the people that might come initially to our minds. I'm not just talking about homeless people, but the outcasts of society, the people who feel like they don't deserve the, the invitation. Uh, they might even look like they've got it together, but they're so racked with guilt and shame that they think that they don't deserve the, the invitation Uh, When our our friends and family who don't uh, don't respond to the invitation reject it, uh, it's now time to go to the people that we don't normally think of and invite them in the same way that the servant did in this story. Let me give you an illustration of what this might look like. Later in Luke's Gospel in chapter uh, 19, starting at verse 1, he tells the story of Zacchaeus. And this is one of my... Favorite stories from the Gospels. Zacchaeus was a tax collector, and uh, tax collectors were not well regarded in their society. Like, they aren't, they aren't anymore. Either. I mean, if you work for the IRS, people are going to raise an eyebrow. I mean, it was like that and even worse. Uh, he's a tax collector, and not only that, he's skimming off the top and making himself a wealthy man, but there's something inside of him who, that knows that this isn't right. He doesn't like it. And he hears Jesus is coming in town and he wants to go see him and learn from him. And he's a short man and can't see, so he climbs a tree to get a glimpse of Jesus. And Jesus knows his name and looks up in the tree and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And this is how we see that he, a wealthy man even, is one of the outcasts of society. In verse 6, so. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be uh, the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since He also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This is an illustration of what it could look like to be a spiritually uh, poor person in our society. Uh, And what it looks like for the spiritually poor person to respond with repentance and faith. In uh, our service, in a little bit, we're going to sing a song that I've asked the musicians to include called Come Ye Sinners, Poor and Needy. And really, this is a song for all of us, that we are sinners like Zacchaeus who are poor and needy. And my two favorite lines are verses 3 and 4 that say this, Come ye weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. If you tarry, that line was in, uh, in another song tonight as well. If you wait, if you linger, if you linger till you're better, if you wait to respond, you will never come at all. That now is the time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Now is the day. And then, verse 4 let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requireth is to feel your need of him. Uh, What that's saying is um, uh, the, the, the uh, the only thing you need, the only fitness you require in God's eyes is to feel your need for him. There's nothing you can do to earn his love, to merit your acceptance into this great party, other than to know that you are needy and that you need him. And this is a a song uh, for all of us. Jesus has extended an invitation to you to this great banquet, and you have uh, no need to fear being left out. As Jesus told uh, Peter and Andrew when uh, they accepted the, the invitation, that they're not just followers of him, but also fisher of men. And so too that applies for us as well. And as Paul says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, we are both new creatures and ambassadors for God. And so now is uh, the time of uh, the mission to the, the needy and to those who are on the highways and at the hedges to, to send the word out that the banquet is coming. And would you please join us? I want you to, to come and sit there with me at the end of the table you know, so that we can talk for however long this, this party goes on. Uh, We are now the servants of God who are extending the the invitation and compelling others to join us. But above all, make sure that you accept the invitation. And to do so means renouncing uh, all that you have, to put aside anything that stands in the way of you serving him, your idols, and and not to make lame excuses, not to tarry till you're better, uh, but to take the uh, the invitation uh, now and respond to it. Uh, If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. So do not tarry. Do not wait. And all the fitness he requires is for you to feel your need for him. Let us pray. Father, thank you for giving us the hope of what is ahead, what you have in store for us. Uh, Give us a sense of how great it will be to be with you and your people, uh, to be sharing in this feast, Lord. uh, And give us an urgency to want to share the invitation uh, with more and more people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.